0: Welcome to AgTech360, where we take a 360 degree view into emerging agriculture technologies of today and tomorrow. Our host, Adrian Percy, helps us to create robust dialogue among stakeholders in academia, industry, and extension, including researchers, growers, producers, and the overall agriculture sustainability community. AgTech360 is brought to you by North Carolina State University, Sursa, the Center of Excellence for Regulatory Science in Agriculture, and the Southern IPM Center.
1: This is Adrian Percy with AgTech360, and I'm joined by John Dombrowski, one of my favorite people. So John... Thank you so much for giving up your time. I know you're, you're traveling right at the moment, and it's great to have a little bit of time with you to talk about your, your background and what you're up to right now with Earth Bio and how you see a little bit uh, how things will develop in the agtech sector in the coming years. So,
2: welcome. Pleasure is all mine, Adrian. Great to uh, hear you and see you, if not in person, uh, at least virtually. Well, you're one of my faves.
1: Thank you. I know you've, you know, worked in big companies, you've run a fund, now you're working in a, in a relatively early stage company. So you've really done the gamut of different types of entities which are looking to bring innovation to the, to the agricultural market. So maybe just kind of walk us through a little bit about your background.
2: Yeah, sure. Happy to. You know, I um, had an, an MBA and a finance degree and was happily bobbling along in a career in information services and software. And uh, the opportunity to, to join an, a licensing role and business development role within Syngenta came along. And it struck me at that point that the why Simon Sinek always talks about know your why. And when, when that clicked, when I was interviewing for that job at Syngenta, the technology in our food and what was coming up, you know, in the next 10, 20, 30 years, that ag was going to be a very interesting place to work. So I took the leap and began what I found to be an incredibly challenging and terrific time at Syngenta doing uh, biotech uh, licensing deals, working through germplasm placement deals, uh, understanding the seed treatment business a bit, and then understanding the crop protection business a bit more. So it was an amazing overview of, you know, the key drivers of on-farm technology and really loved it. So uh, from there, when 2015 was launching into this rise of venture capital into ag and, and the notion that external innovation models uh, were starting to begin to take hold, kind of like they have in pharma, we realized that, uh, or at least I did, that maybe there was an opportunity here. And that's where the ag tech Accelerator came about. We put together an assemblage of some pretty amazing strategic and venture investors to do very early stage company creation, venture development work in ag and ag tech. And, and we wanted to do it specifically in RTP or the the Triangle region because of the overwhelming treasure of talent and and facilities and resources that we have in this area. So that then led, as I got to know Bayer better through that fund experience and really learned that in essence, I love operating and I love operating companies. I'm an operator at heart. That's nothing against any of my venture investing brethren out there. It's an amazingly critical role, you know, supplying capital and interesting business models for new startups, but I love operating companies. And so when this opportunity to came to emerge to help build out EarthBio. I jumped at it actually one year ago today on October 1st,
1: 2019. Thanks so much for that, John. So I'm really curious. You mentioned about innovation models. And I think things have really evolved over the last few years. Mm -hmm. And as someone who's worked with a a big company like Syngenta with a fantastic R&D infrastructure and lots of success... I'm now working for a, a kind of smaller company how do you see the roles of the large companies versus the earlier stage companies in today's innovation environment in agriculture
2: sure if we can look to a case example i would i would look to what's happened over uh, the last 20 or 30 or so years in the pharmaceutical or biopharmaceutical industry, where as larger companies consolidated, their commitment to investing in research wasn't going to decline. There were so many other different technologies that they had to be keeping up to date with and aware of and evolving different new modes of healthcare that there had to be other sources of innovation and that's where this external development model really took off in biopharma where as we know today there's there's venture funds and uh, a well-worn superhighway of capital and cro's and networks in place for new companies to form very early stage ideas, progress those ideas to in value inflection stages to garner more capital. And then there's a really elegant deal making structure in pharma that knows when risk is taken, where risk is shared, and when risk is taken off the table in the form of real data readouts, how that value inflection is shared with a larger company, with a smaller company. We're just at the very, very beginning stages, I think, of that very model in egg. So I would answer that question by saying it's because smaller companies like EarthBio and, and others, we can create cultures and focus it along very specific platform lines. And so therefore, with that focus, we can be laser intentional about how we progress a specific technology through certain ag use cases. And that can be very useful for large companies when partnered at the right stage.
1: Yeah. And I would think as well, I mean, if you look at 10 years ago, innovation in terms of ang inputs was predominantly chemistry. And the big companies who had the infrastructure to look at chemistry were by and large looking at it in similar ways. There were always obviously some subtleties, and I'm sure some of my friends in the research would disagree with me, but it seemed that the approach was more or less similar. Now, of course, with the advent of different types of technologies, and especially in the biological space with microbes, with proteins, with synthetic biology approaches as well, no one company can possibly be good at all of that. And as you say, you need to be focused, right? And you need to have a core expertise. And it seems to me at least that with all these different technology opportunities, the smaller companies who focus in and are really quick and agile at bringing these technologies to market, are probably going to win out against some of the big players if they try to recreate that in-house because they'll just never never keep up. Would you agree with that?
2: I totally agree. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. If you think about any of the large companies, especially as they're now consolidated within the ag, chem, seeds, and genetics and traits, R&D providers, those consolidated businesses also have digital businesses. There's now whereas maybe 20 years ago, there was a genetics business with the onset of some research in in traits, and then there was chemistry. And that chemistry was really crop protection synthetic chemistry. And as you well pointed out, that really evolved to becoming there's a few addressable modes of action. And so we're going to create chemistry around those addressable modes of action. I'm not going to say it, it was simple, but it's certainly more complex now when you factor in digital software, traits biologics, chemistry, synthetic biology. I mean, the the span of disciplines now required to offer a full solution to not just the farmers, but all the way through the value chain, all the way to the consumer mindset, has shifted the need for an R&D organization to be experts at a, just a ton of different genres of technology. And so therefore, partnering with nimble, companies like Rathio and, and others out there in the marketplace that are doing specific focused portfolios around very specific projects and programs allows those uh, larger companies to have that benefit brought into their larger strategies.
1: I totally agree. Obviously, in terms of the sources of innovation now are multiple, and the types of innovation are multiple. As you said, nimble companies are really looking to have great success, getting a lot of backing from VC groups and others. But in terms of getting those products to market, do you still see that you need to go through some of these big players to actually get market access? Or are there different models now for companies like EarthBio and others in the sector to actually get their products into the hands of farmers, ultimately?
2: sure and i think that the way to answer that question and it's a great one is is in two aspects one very much incumbent on the regulatory environment the second factor that that comes into play is you know whether or not a company on its own would think about a, a sales or commercialization go to market strategy on its own so that's where drawing back to the parallels between the human health marketplace and the agricultural marketplace, the same holds true there. You know, there's so many long run hurdles in many of our marketplaces, like, for example, synthetic chemistry, which, as we all know, can take upwards of 250 or $300 million mm-hmm. to perhaps get a compound all the way through global approvals. In 13 and years, to... <laughs>
1: 13 years. I mean, it's incredible. Right. With, who's got pockets that deep, right? <laughs> and patients that through long. That
2: deep. And patience, that long, and and then from there, if you're starting with a startup, you think, hey, well, and then we got to start to sell it. And so, who's gonna who's gonna work with the distribution to get it to the farmers? And so, you know, that that's a daunting task, and holds true, of course, in in drug development as well. And that, so therefore, a long run, large investment along a regulatory and commercialization paths. That's where the large companies can really lend themselves well to the uh, ecosystem. I like to call it a, a coral reef. There's lots of big fish and small fish and coral and algae and all sorts of players running around doing their thing in the coral reef. And those big players, they have a meaningful, a very meaningful role to play in providing access to expertise and those superhighways in through to providing capital expertise and really commercialization execution to make a product that would be in the hands of a farmer. Now that's opposed to something more along digital or software or perhaps biologics or other unique ways that we can affect the same change on the farm or or even post-harvest that might allow for quicker routes to market or less expensive or or maybe have different distribution models or perhaps even have innovation even around that. That's where a, a smaller startup might even imagine, dare we think, That Mm -hmm. we could build ourselves, you know, the breadth and and capital to get our product all the way into the marketplace.
1: Yeah, fantastic. Let's talk about Earth Bio. Explain a little bit about what is the the concept? Where are you? How did you kind of get this whole thing off the ground?
2: Sure. Yeah. And I was introduced to Earth Bio as a concept back in late August, early September last year. So by that time, the deal had already been Um, obviously gone under a a bunch of diligence and uh, scrutiny on Bayer's side. So what had happened was uh, Bayer and Arvinas, Arvinas being the life science leader in protein degraders, their founder actually invented the technology out of Yale University, uh, a fellow by the name of Dr. Cruz, noticed that if we could redirect the ubiquitin proteasome system to address perhaps normally undruggable targets there could be a powerful new drug discovery tool. And so Arbinus was formed to create and build out that platform in life sciences. Bayer was interested in that technology from a human health perspective and then asked the very simple question, which is sometimes all it takes is that very simple question. I wonder if this could apply in ag. And so how interesting that we need to compress the ability to quickly transition breakthrough technologies in healthcare into ag. I think we're seeing maybe some of the same in RNAI technologies and in, in synthetic biology technologies and in gene editing technologies, so where it used to be a 30-year gap is now maybe yeah. Uh, much compressed into maybe being a 10-year gap. Maybe it's now only like a four or five or three-year gap. It was about 10 years between protein degraders being discovered and now EarthBio being formed to go think about protein degraders in agriculture. That's what I love most maybe about EarthBio is that we're taking this incredibly powerful potential platform from human health and life sciences, drugging the undruggable, and perhaps being able to do it in a way that really dials in safety and maybe even does it without having to have as much chemistry on the ground. Can we do that and do it in a way that compresses the lead time from when something happens in human health and bridge that over to ag?
1: It's fascinating to me as well that, as we were saying earlier, there's been a pretty standard way of looking chemical discovery in our industry up until now. And it was basically you get a small molecule and you test it against a target in an insect, in a weed, or in a disease. And if you see some activity, you get excited and then you see if you can develop a product from that mm-hmm. particular molecule. What you're looking at is something completely different. But at the end of it, it would still be a chemical, right? It would still be a small molecule that would be applied as per traditional chemistry. Even if the way that you're Actually, developing that chemistry is completely different from what's gone on before.
2: The way we're thinking about protein degraders is true, that we can, as in pharma, drug the undruggable. So if we're really open to being able to address nearly any target, be it a protein target, a transcription factor, or an enzyme, You know, can we then think about, yes, the traditional crop protection markets and provide new modes of action, provide the ability to have perhaps on the front end design intentionally safety and toxicology aspects into the compounds up front and then test them, as you're mentioning, which is very different. It's a very different approach than taking... You know, let's get our hands on as many compound libraries as possible and run it through a high high throughput screen and see what comes out. If something interesting comes out, we'll progress it along a very regimented testing progression, including tox, and we'll see if it spits out anything at the end. And, And the reality is, is that that has proven challenging because it turns out that there are very few modes of action that can meet the cost of goods sold requirement, the toxicology requirements, and all those pressure points around crop protection that you need to bring a product to market. As opposed to, you know, maybe our, our flipping of the script that we're attempting at our file, which is let's start with the target in mind, whether it be, again, a transcription factor or an enzyme or, or a protein. And, and let's, because of the ability to use protax to design in chemistry ahead of time and not have to hit a binding affinity like a small molecule has to, because we're freed from that constraint, can we think about the continuum all the way up front when we do our design and be much more intentional about it. So it's um, it's actually a flipping of that age-old crop protection pyramid. And that's uniquely one of the more innovating things, I think, that we're doing at EarthBio, which is around thinking about target-based design intentionally, which protein degraders, their uniqueness, Protac protein degraders, the, the very uniqueness of them, allows us to do that targeted-based design
1: approach. Excellent. We know in agriculture, consumers now are are becoming more and more vocal, more and more powerful, driving policy, driving regulation. There's a strong move to more sustainable types of agriculture, perhaps less residues on our, less chemical residues, at least on our food. I mean, how do you see earth bio fitting into that whole evolution and discussion that's going on in society right now? Are you just reinventing chemistry or do you feel also that you can play a role in terms of more sustainable agricultural practices as well?
2: Great question. The way we're thinking about this at Earth Bio is, is, of course, you know, there's some acute needs right away in the marketplace that we feel that we can address in crop protection. And so that's why we're thinking about crop protection as our first initial innovation needs. The evolution, though, of our strategic thinking also involves how can we have a benefit and an impact on the environment, and how can we have an impact and benefit, maybe even further into the food chain, in affecting nutrition, wellness, and health? Going back to that very fundamental technical reason that protein degraders are so different than anything else that's been looked at regarding small molecule chemistry in the last fifty years, we 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 can design chemistry that that is freed from the need to have a direct affinity to a specific binding pocket. And we can utilize on the other end of this small molecule, it's, a, it's this trimer uh, molecule. On the other side of this molecule, we can design a specific safety protocols around which E3 we recruit. And there are, it turns out there are three to four times more E3 ligases, which are this critical mechanism within each cell in plants, all humans, all animals on the planet, to move that E3 ligase system that's inherent in the plant for its own plant to environment interaction and help create that plant's ability to be immunoresponsive to the things around it. So actually we do believe that as we gain our expertise in crop protection in plants, that will transition into these other segments, health and environment, to really get to what we're hearing humans want is like, let's have a food system that's more compatible with um, the natural order of the world and let's have maybe a little bit less impact on the environment. Let's have an ability to be assured that foods that we're eating are safe and maybe even have an ability to create nutrition and new inflections in health through our food.
1: Fantastic. You know, you chose to set up the company here where I'm based in Research Triangle Park in North Carolina. There's a great ecosystem here, obviously, which I guess was a large part behind your decision. What does being based in this region give you in terms of building a young company up to success?
2: Sure. That fateful day when I first started to explore what protein integrators were and how Bayer had been involved in putting together this really interesting, well-funded joint venture deal with our Venice, coming in off of the tail end of all that diligence, I had a lot of learning to do. One of the assumptions that was made in that original deal contract was the knowledge transfer that Arvinas would provide around this relatively complicated approach to chemistry in protein degraders. And them being the world leader of protec protein degraders, the thought was that the ag business, EarthBio, should be co-located with Arvinas in New Haven, Connecticut. And um, it wasn't maybe the first time on my list to try to uh, try to disagree with a core assumption that was made in the original in the original deal construct, but it was something that I, I really wanted to make sure that we fully vetted because I did worry about our ability to recruit agricultural talent in New Haven, Connecticut. And once both the stakeholders at Arvinas and Bayer sort of heard that, you know, we could locate this business in the Research Triangle region and do that successfully while keeping in mind knowledge transfer with Bayer and that we could do, you know, many trips, many, many trips could be planned to, uh, to <laughs> New Haven is what we thought. Well, we didn't know there would be a pandemic at that time. So it's been quite good to be able to work with them through even online, means. But the reality is, we've gone from just me, October 1st of 2019, to now 20 people as of October 1st, 2020, on our way to early stage equilibrium of about 29, 30, 31 people by the late first quarter, or early second quarter of 2021. And most of those people are deeply ensconced in agricultural chemistry, mm-hmm. biology, and wherewithal knowledge of product development within agriculture, including all those things that we talked about, registration and, and formulation, there is differences in building a product in ag than in human health. And the talent pool that is in the Research Triangle region can't be overestimated or oversummed up. It is an incredible group of people that have assembled themselves here in RTP and uh, in the Research Triangle region. And we should, um, we should all celebrate that and know that it's a core asset for the, for
1: yeah. the, um, for the region. I couldn't agree more. Um, Last question, John. So, you know, wiser men than me say that um, culture eats strategy for breakfast. And I think probably people listening to this, even if they can't see you um, like I can right now, uh, will will get the feeling you are a man of uh, immense energy. So I was kind of curious. I mean, how, as you create a new company really from scratch, what kind of culture are you trying to develop within EarthBio to ensure the company's success?
2: We have thought about culture more obsessively perhaps than even we have about the technology. We've thought about it obsessively because it will define everything we do and everything we are at the company now and in the future. And what I mean by that, and this this comes from an amalgamation of a lot of great thinkers, been tried, true, tested, and empirically validated through Collins Good to Great and through other really amazing thought leaders in the management world, like Patrick Lancioni. But it turns out that there's a number of core questions that an organization can ask and answer in route to becoming a really well-performing cultural organization. But it starts with being able to provide vulnerability from the leadership team and provide vulnerability into the organization. So if that's the first and foremost approach to culture which is we're all human. We're going to be vulnerable in this business and we're going to be honest and truthful with one another. And if that means sometimes we admit failure and figure out what to do about it next, then so be it. With that at the base, we started to answer a couple of basic questions, which start with why do we exist and how are we going to behave? Because the rest of the questions about our business model and how we approach licensing and what is our Hedgehog strategy, you know, what's our core focus area and who's going to do what, where, and how to hold accountability in the organization. All of those questions, they can evolve over time and they can take almost a fungible atmosphere within the organization because they can change from time to time. But what shouldn't ever change is why do we exist and how do we behave? So those core values and the mission and vision for why we exist are where we started with culture. And I'm really proud of the culture that we're beginning to build at Earth. And each new, what we affectionately call Earthling, each new <laughs> Earthling that comes in to uh, work for us and work work with us is, uh, is already through the uh, interview process steeped in our vision and values and, and how we're trying to approach.
1: Fantastic. Thank you, John. It's been a pleasure talking to you. I wish you and your fellow Earthlings much success moving forward with EarthBio, and thank you so much for your time.
2: Thank you, Adrian. My pleasure. Thank you for the invitation.
0: AgTech 360 is a product of North Carolina State University, CERSA, the Center of Excellence for Regulatory Science in Agriculture, and the Southern IPM Center. This episode was produced by Kayla Pack Watson with host Adrian Percy and Center Director Dr. Danasha Seth Carley. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at AgTech360 and send us questions and comments to agtech360 at gmail.com. With AgTech360, we take a 360-degree view inside emerging agriculture technologies that matter. Thanks for listening.